You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley titled, Overview, from the series Character Counts. For more info, visit creekside.org, and coming soon, a brand new website for you to enjoy. Take care. God bless. How many of you know, you know we do all these assessments and tests in life, usually over finite things, driver's test, vision test, medical test, had some blood work done recently, just checking up and everything, and, but those are all finite. We go through life doing all these tests, but we never do an assessment on our souls that are really eternal. So I thought as we're uh, into this series, Character Counts, I said, oh, let's do a little assessment. Character counts, it's so important because we have a culture today that I think we would all understand worships at the shrine of charisma and gifts. We elevate people, whether it's celebrities or sports people, we elevate gifts and charisma over character. And one of the things that God always wants is that we would be people who would be growing in and developing character. And you understand, especially if you've ever been a boss or you've employed people or worked with people, you understand that character, listen, charisma gets you so far. Character is what keeps you there, what, what allows you to keep going. It's amazing how quickly people fall when they rest on their charisma. And a lot of times very gifted and charismatic people don't have to develop their character because they have such charisma, and because we don't pull back the veneer, we don't look behind the curtain a lot of times, all we ever see is that charisma. So for the next eight or nine weeks, we're going to be looking at this character counts and how we're going to develop it. Now, before you get your, you know, your white knuckle going and you try and figure out how this is going to happen, I want us to do a little assessment, and then I'm going to do an intro into it this week, kind of an overview of what does it mean how are we going to do this? So it's not real religious, but it really is spiritual. So uh, if you will, let's go through this little um, assessment. So you'll see here what I want you to do. We're going to look at the nine, uh, the nine fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5. Uh, for those of you who have I've had people come up to me and say, hey, PT, I'm going to give you, can I just uh, share my scripture memorization with you? I said I'd give you a little something if you do. So uh, I'm doing that. Well, here's the next scripture. I said about every other week we would do one. Here's the next one, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So I want to encourage you to memorize that. And if you want to come up and give me your scriptures, then I'll uh, give you a little, you know, 10 cents or something. But um, it'll just be, you know, in- incentive reward is always a good thing, right? So let's do the assessment. Follow with me. Love. Oh, you go, well, what's the E, P, uh, P, S, G, and N, I? Well, the E means, as you read this, you would circle, if you're exceptional at it, then circle E. <laughs> um, <laughs> if it's uh, P, S, G, well, that means pretty stinking good. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and then N, I is uh, needs improvement. So I tried to keep these fairly positive. Um, so love, how tender is your heart towards God and other people? Is it exceptional? Is it pretty stinking good? Or does it need improvement? So go ahead and circle that. Next one, do you find yourself actively engaging in acts of servanthood? Would you consider yourself someone who serves others and, and, and serves because it's just a great expression of love? Uh, third one, do you have a critical or judgmental spirit in your heart? Ouch. Okay, joy. We're talking about joy next week. What is your current irritability factor? <laughs> oh, it's exceptionally, it uh, it's, uh, needs it, yeah. Uh, you, you were, uh, are you more inclined to speak words of complaint or gratitude? Look at the last couple of weeks. Did you complain more or did you give thanks more? Uh, third, how much fun and how often did you laugh this week? How'd you do in this one? Do you choose joy in times of frustration or difficulty? How do you do there? This last one's kind of a, you know, it was more of a rhetorical question, but uh, do, you, uh, do you find yourself rationalizing your lack of joy right now? As you go through this assessment, 
would you go, well, I, I would have more joy, but, or if this was happening, I'd have more joy. Or do you rationalize your lack of joy quotient as you go through this? Next one, peace. To what degree are your heart and mind at rest in God? To what degree are your heart and mind at rest in God? Secondly, are you consistently troubled or anxious? Exceptional, pretty stinking good. Need improvement there. How do you do as a peacemaker in your relational orbit? How do you do? Are you a peacemaker, a good peacemaker? Patience. How do you respond when you get frustrated? Are you exceptional, do great? Are you able to wait graciously at the doctor's or the dentist's office, in traffic, in long lines? Would people around you describe as a peaceful, patient waiter? How's your patience? As a matter of fact, if you're already on kindness and working ahead, you probably need to circle N-I because you just can't patiently wait for the rest of us. Kindness. You'll help someone. Yeah, you got that, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm done with it. Well, there you go. Uh, kindness. You'll help someone in need even though you're busy. How are you doing at encouraging and affirming other people? Do you generally take time to notice and listen to people? How are you doing on that one? Goodness. How do I see my goodness in light of Christ's goodness? Am I growing in my goodness? Really becoming more like Jesus to other people. Is my generosity quotient growing? In my goodness, is my giving being seen as part of that process? Is my heart towards sharing growing or shrinking? Is it becoming enlarged or getting smaller when it comes to giving and sharing of who I am and what I have? How you doing on goodness? Faithfulness. Would people around you say that you're dependable? When you say you're going to do something, it gets done. How is your stick-to-it quotient? If you haven't started doing this, or if you're not doing this, then you probably need to put an N-I there because you're not faithful in doing it. So, <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, gentleness. How well do you speak the truth with grace? A lot of people can speak a lot of good truth and they'll leave you in a body bag. And then there's other people who can speak all grace, but they'll never challenge in a healthy, God-honoring way you to become a better person. How do you do that? Can you, can you amalgamate and balance those two? Do you ever get angry and inflict pain on someone just because it may feel good in the moment? In the past few weeks, was there a time when you came alongside somebody who was hurting and you gave them comfort or help? that happened in your life in the last couple of weeks? Last one, self-control. Are you more of a reactor than a responder? Do you ever give in to an impulse? How's your mouth doing these days? <laughs> well, when you put it that way, right? I'd recommend maybe you keep this assessment uh, for the next eight or nine weeks and see, and, and we'll come back to it maybe at the last when we finish up and see how it goes with uh, where, where, we, where we grow. I'm not talking about improving, but where we're growing. As you went through this list, did anyone feel just a tad challenged, maybe even inadequate? I, I, I do. Because when you baseline it and, you know, when you just say, ah, gentle, yeah, I'm pretty gentle, you know, I don't beat anybody up. But when you start really breaking it down as we're going to do, you really get challenged. See, the fruit of the Spirit at its core 
is what spiritual growth and character is about. People get all kinds of crazy ideas about what spiritual growth and maturity looks like. But the essence of spiritual formation, it, it's, not divine, it's not defined by being busy with Christian activities. Now, parenthetically, let me say some of us possibly in this room may need to be a little more busy in terms of our serving or engagement in what God wants to do in and through the church. That could be very true. But never see that as the essence of your spiritual maturity. Knowing a lot about the Bible, that's really important. It's good to be growing in that, but never see that as the final criteria that you're spiritually mature. A lot of people know the Bible, but they, um, they, they don't live it very well, and they don't have a whole lot of love in their life. It isn't piling up a truckload of Christian accomplishments and and, and, and that kind of thing. Because a lot of times we just we think it's all tied to doing. But ultimately our character and our spiritual formation gets tied into our being. Because if we're really being what God wants us to do, it will always lead into the doing. Because remember Jesus talked a lot to the Pharisees and challenged them about things. He said, you're not even fruitful Pharisees. These were the religious top dogs of the day. He said, you guys look good on the outside, but you are nothing but dead bones, whitewashed tombs on the inside. You have nothing of fruitfulness to offer anybody in any way. So God's target for you and I, loved ones, is is really this, is that the bullseye of what he wants to see us do is develop godly character, and we see it in these areas. See, when I look at this list, though, it's easy for me to get just a little bit overwhelmed by how far I fall short. I mean, here's the truth. I mean, I can, I, can, I can mess up half of these just by getting out of bed, you know? I mean, by the time I'm out of bed, it's easy for me to do that. And, and I was, just the other day, I was asking Trinus, we were having this dialogue about us, and, and I said, well, how am I doing in this area? And she was quiet. <laughs> and I go, well, that's not good. <laughs> but sometimes we have a tendency to not see our character and ourselves as other people see it. So during these weeks, in this series, hear me, look at me, hear me, our focus and our quest is not going to be to try harder, to be more loving and to be more patient and to be more kind. We're not going to work harder at it, okay? We're not going to have a quest for an attempt at character self-improvement campaign. Because usually when we go on those, it is totally about self and it becomes frustrating and then it only lasts for a short term. Here's why I'm doing the introduction this way today. We're going to do something else. We're going to go after a single action word that Jesus talked about before, shortly before he died. Important last words that he gave his disciples and to us today. And I want you to turn to John 15. I'm going to start in verse 4. And I want you to note the word that we continually hear in this passage. I mean, you're going to hear it probably eight or nine times. So it's pretty important. So these are Jesus' words to his church, to his disciples here, to you and me today. So John 15, verse 4 says this. Remain in me and I in you. So just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. What are we talking about? The fruit of the Spirit, part of the character and maturation development of a Christ follower. And I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Now, my Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. A lot of times we don't like this. But this is kind of a validation point. Jesus says, listen, you want to know who my disciples are? Look around. You'll see the fruit of who they are and their life. 
Verse 9. Now, as the Father has loved me, I love this. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, I also have loved you. So do what? Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and I remain in his love. Now, I have spoken these things. Why? So that your joy may be in you, so that my joy may be in you in you, and your joy may be complete. John 14, 27, he talks about the peace, peace that I give you, not as the world gives. It's interesting that Jesus underscores in this passage love, joy, and peace. Now, if you turn over quickly to Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to talk more out of Galatians next week um, when we actually get to the next fruit. But I want to give you just, again, another little precursor uh, for our launching off point today. Verse 16, chapter 5 of Galatians. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will carry out the desires, and, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the, the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, but the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. So what we see, friends, is we have this thing going on in our life, our flesh. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's our natural tendency. It's our natural way to approach life and thinking and do it our way. Now, the Spirit comes in us, and it begins to rearrange the spiritual furniture of our life, and we begin to think differently. We begin to act differently. We begin to do life very differently in the way we talk, the way we act, the behavior, the beliefs, and there is this opposition that is always going place that most of us in this room are very aware of. Those things I don't want to do, I do. Those things I want to do, I don't do. See, there's the flesh and the spirit that's at war. Now, if you go down to verse 19, notice what it says. Paul's writing to this church, and he says, Now the works of the flesh. Notice that word works. Notice the works of the flesh. They're obvious. What are they? Now he gets into this pretty ugly list. He says there's sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, Selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar about which I tell you in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But then he makes this wonderful, delicious, and delightful transition. But, as we say, thank God for all the buts in the Bible. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, I want to I I I start with Jesus on this and how he talks about fruit before we actually start breaking down these fruit as they are in Galatians. If we were to continue to read John chapter 15, Jesus closes a segment there where he's talking about these things, and he says this to his followers. You did not choose me, but I chose you. That is a powerful statement. See, sometimes we think we found God. Now, he was never lost. We were. See, dead people don't respond. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but, but God began to move on us. And he chose us. Why did he choose us? It says in that verse, it says, that you should go out and produce fruit, and not only fruit, but fruit that should remain. So whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give it to you. See, fruit bearing is represented as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and I'll unpack this a little bit more next week. But in those nine things, it starts with love. And really, if we understand it based on 1 Corinthians 13, love is really the preeminent point. And then out of that, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, jealous, faithfulness, self-control. Those are all expressions of love. If I love somebody, I'm going to be patient with them. If I love somebody, I'm going to be kind to them. Because Jesus is love. And all of those things are what he did and does for us. Now, fruit doesn't exist just for itself. Too often we see this, and we want the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Why? So that we can be satisfied, so we can look really good. And, and that's not bad, but, 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 you know, we want to be happy and fulfilled. But that's not the purpose of these fruit. Jesus says, I want you to produce it. 
for a bigger, larger reason and cause. If you read, I didn't put these in your notes, but Genesis 49, 22 is a prophetic statement from Jacob to his son, Joseph. He's getting ready to die, and he says to his son, Joseph, it's a prophetic statement of what his life would be, and it already was that, but he said that Joseph's life would be like branches that hang down. It would be so full of fruit, it would hang in his neighbor's yards. Why? So they could pick from it and receive from the fruit of blessing of Joseph's life. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 16, says this, Awake, O north wind, come thou south. Blow upon my garden that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into my garden and eat his pleasant fruits. That's Hebrew poetry at its finest. It's beautiful. As you read the book, the Song of Solomon, there's three interpretations. It's, it's the, some commentators will say, well, it's the, it's, it's the love story between God and Israel. Others will say, no, it's the love story between Jesus and his church. And others will say, no, it's really the love story and almost a manual of love and intimacy between a man and a wife, a husband and a wife. And you say, well, PT, what do you believe? I say, yes. <laughs> it's a picture of all three. Literally, you can interpret it and see in this Hebrew poetry all three of the lessons that he is saying there. So let me take it from Jesus and his church. In chapter 4, verse 16 that I just read, it's Jesus coming to you and me, his bride. That's what the church is called, the bride of Christ, Ephesians chapter 5. And Jesus comes, and we get to exchange this love and this fruit. But then you go from chapter 4, verse 16 to chapter 5, verse 1, and it says that Jesus comes, and not only does he come, but over time, he begins to bring friends, and he says, my friends, come and eat. What is he saying? I'm going to bring my friends to come and rejoice with us in this life of fruitfulness. So what's happening to you and me? Have you ever felt like you just kind of get trampled on? Everybody's picking at you and pulling and taking from. And we go, who invited all these people? And Jesus says, I did. Because I want them to be able to participate in and to partake of your fruit. See here, loved ones, this is the point. Our fruit is not just for us. It's not just for Jesus, but it is to be the manifestation of a life that wherever we go, people can receive from us, be refreshed by us, be replenished through us. I was on a jog walk here last Thursday, and as I was coming around a corner in my neighborhood, I saw these, this, these lemons and limes out there, and in this box it says, free lemons and limes, limes, go ahead and take some. So I bent over, and I, I had my sweatshirt on, and I started filling up my pockets. I said, this will be really good to go home, have these fresh lemons, squeeze it into my, uh, my finishing of water drink, and just be able to, oh, be so nice. And then it hit me. That's what God's talking about. We have fruit in our lives, and we're to set it out, and we're to let people to come freely and pick from it and to receive of it. See, where people get into trouble, loved ones, is we become so consumed with our own life, our own issues, and we forget that our life was meant to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, and to serve others. And if we don't do that, that's where we get into trouble. That's where we become disappointed with life. That's where, that's where life just begins to, we're, we're, it's no longer satisfying. What a blessed life that we can have when we begin to give. The true value of a life is always measured by how much of it is given away. And nobody in this room understands the numbers of people that God may want to influence through you. That's why Jesus said, I want you to bear fruit, much fruit. Not just for you, not just for me, not just for our relationship, but for the people around me. So if that's the point that, that one of the keys of life is to bear fruit, what's the secret to fruit bearing? Well, it's found there that we read. What was the key word that you heard over and over and over? What was it? Remain. Some of your translations say abide. 
Imagine that my family loves apples. So we've got an apple tree in the back, and I says, you know, I want to make this really easy for my family to get their favorite fruit and make it more accessible to them. So I go out, I cut off a branch from the backyard apple tree, I place it in the kitchen so that when spring comes, it will blossom. And as they go by to get a glass of water, they will grab an apple. And you would say, that's silly, that's ridiculous, it would die. Exactly. That's what Jesus is saying here. I want you to remain, to remain, to remain, to remain, to abide, to remain in me. Here the key to fruit bearing is stay close to Jesus. If you cut yourself off from him, if you move yourself away from him at any time, you won't bring fruit. Look at any tree. What do the branches do? They abide in the vine. What does it mean to abide, to remain? It just means to hang in. It's just, it's just hanging in there. It means to simply cling to the trunk or the vine. And what happens when that takes place? Well, unless there's a disease, vine blossoms come, and out of that, fruit is produced. Have you ever walked through an orchard? Have you ever walked through a grape vineyard and heard the vines groan? Really? Have you? You're walking through. What was that? No. You don't hear it. Have you you ever seen it turning red because it's straining? No. You walk through these beautiful orchards and you just grab fruit and it's just there. So how many times do I see Christians, Christ followers or people, they just say, okay, boy, I'm going to get better. I'm going to become more kind. So they get up in the morning. Okay, today I'm going to be kind. You know, and they get in their car, and they back out. And the first thing they do, they take off, and somebody runs a stop sign. Ah, what are you doing? Yeah, you know. Have you ever noticed how, how hard that is? And that's what happens. You know, we work so hard at it. We strain, and we groan. But walking in the Spirit is simply to be engaged, to respond to what God is speaking to you, to, to hear His quiet whispers, and to respond to His promptings through the day, moment by moment by moment. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branch. What is the one thing the branch is supposed to do that it notes in the text? Remain. A lot of your translations, older translations, will say, abide. I love that word abide. It sounds just a lot better. It just sounds like easy like Sunday morning. I'm just going to abide. <laughs> but what does it mean? It means really to dwell with, to be at home, connected to where you're just receiving this unceasing flow of life and nourishment and love from God. As I do this, guess what will happen? There'll be no groaning. There'll be no white knuckle club. It will just begin to happen. Fruit will come. You won't, stop. you won't be able to stop it. If you don't abide, guess what? If you remove yourself from the vine, if you get unplugged from the life of Christ, well, there won't be a growing fruit. See, part of the reason Paul uses that language in Galatians that he does is he's setting up this contrast. As I said, I'll talk a little bit more about it next week when we come back to Galatians 5. But he says, I don't want you to be characterized by what he defines as works of the flesh. There should be none of this in your life where there's bitterness and jealousies and dissensions and immorality and promiscuity. All of these ugly things, I don't want them part of your life. And those are the natural things that left to our own, aside from Christ, we'll do that. Well, he says, I don't want you to do these works of the flesh. Now, naturally, wouldn't you expect Paul to go, ah, but uh, here's what we're going to do, transition to what I want you to do is works of the Spirit. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, fruit of the Spirit. He says, I, I don't want you to work, do works of the Spirit. He says, I want you to be marked the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because he's dealing with this church in Galatia that was so bent on works and they were moving into legalism. He says, this isn't about your works. This is about your walking in and with the Spirit of Christ. He says, I don't want to add any connotation of human effort and strain that could lead to self-righteousness. That's not the kind of people that God wants to produce past, present, in this room, you, me. He doesn't want us groaning and straining. He wants us to blossom into fruitful people. Now, notice it doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. A lot of churches talk about the fruits of the Spirit because there's nine of them. But he says this is singular fruit. 
And then he begins to list the nine character qualities. And he says, I, this isn't fruits because I don't want people to take these nine character qualities and begin to exhaust themselves on this quest to add them to their character repertoire. What he's saying is fruit is inevitable. These nine things will basically, they just will happen as we walk with Christ. It's a byproduct of remaining and abiding. So you know what our work is, loved ones? It's to remain. It's to abide. How often do you see a branch working? Groaning. It doesn't. It just is there. It's staggering to read the scriptures and to see from the beginning to the end how Jesus wants to be with you. And sometimes we just, we just read the scriptures and we forget about this incredible narrative of the life of God that comes to invade humanity. It was Jesus' mission, besides coming to die for our sins, that he said, I want to be with you. Jesus said there in John 15, as the Father has loved me, I love you. Imagine the love of this Father when Jesus made this decision. Father, I will go. I will die for our creation, for their sins. Imagine the love of the Father for his Son, that his willingness to submit to this gruesome plan and then to do it. And Jesus says, you know how much my Father loves me. That's how much I love you. A while back, I was at an airport guy showing me pictures of his son, Grady. You ever had that happen? Just talking to somebody, and I noticed on his phone, he was going through all these pictures, and he says, is that your son? Oh, yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my little guy, Grady. Great pictures. Showed me a picture of him crawling. Showed me a picture of him making a mess at his high chair. Showed me a picture of his first steps, being with mom, being with big sister, rolling a ball with dad, standing up, sitting down. You know, 20 minutes later, I'm going, oh, yeah, beautiful kid. Uh, you know, I got a graduate course in gradiology. It was, uh, and he was a cute kid, very cute kid. Um, but you know how that goes. He was a young father, very proud, very excited about his, his little boy. Why, why is he so preoccupied with Grady? I think it's because, uh, you think, I, I don't think it's necessarily because of his kids' achievements were so impressive and unprecedented. I mean, my grandson, I used to tell me about him. I said, my, my grandson was further along and did better than he did. And um, <laughs> I, I didn't tell him that. I sure thought it. <laughs> I never did get to pull out my phone. Um, <laughs> But what happened with that little boy? See, he saw his son through a father's eyes. And he just loved him. He couldn't wait to get back home to him. He's going through this, you know, this is about 15, 20 minute time. And I'm thinking, this dad's been away from his kid for a month. And I said, well, how, you know, you're going home today. How exciting. How long you been gone? Oh, yesterday. You know, it was, <laughs> it was... It was like a quick trip, and I go, wow, wow, that's cool. And then after he left, and I'm sitting there, and I pull out my phone, start looking at pictures of my family and boys and grandson, and, and I thought, wow, I bet you if God has an iPhone, I bet I'm in it. Yeah, I know it's hard to believe, but, um, <laughs> but, but you're in it too. Now think about this, that God just sits there, wow. Oh, there's Terry, man. He's preaching in Cuba. And, and, then, and then, oh, wow, look, he's preaching to those Creeksiders today. Just, I mean, he's not very perfect, but I sure love him, you know? And, and he's just got all these pictures of me, and he's got all these pictures of you in this heavenly iPhone. You know why? Because he wants to be with us. And sometimes we forget about that, loved ones. In the commerce of life, I wonder if, you know, I just wonder, you know, Lord, would, would, would you be standing up there in heaven now and showing the angels pictures of me? <laughs> Telling them, boring them with how wonderful you think I am. <laughs> how wonderful he thinks you are. You know what the greatest promise in the Bible is to me? 
It's not forgiveness. It's not that I get to spend eternity with Jesus, with, with, the, with the Trinity of God. It's the thing that I remind you fairly regularly that God wants to be with us. I mean, it's, it's the narrative. It's the motif of Scripture. It starts in Genesis chapter 1. I make, God makes us in His image. And then it moves to Genesis chapter 3 where He creates Adam and Eve. And it says He walks with them. That was probably a pre-incarnate Christ. We call it a Christophany because whenever there's a manifestation of God, it's always Christ. And so Christ is walking with Adam and Eve. And then we see him in the cloud by, uh, uh, cloud by day and the fire by night. He's going with Israel, leading them throughout the Exodus. And then we fast forward to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, 23. And it says, and Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And he came as Emmanuel, God, with us. And then he walks with us and he shows us God. And then we get to the end of the book. Oh, before Jesus leaves, what does he do? He says, you know what? I've got to leave so you can have the spirit that comes and lives in you, which is really just another expression of my life in the Godhead. And then we get to the end of the book, the culmination of history as we know it. And God makes this incredible declaration. Everything is in it. It's been rebuilt and renewed. And what does he say? He says... Now I get to be with my people. That's the greatest truth to me, that God wants to be with me. In the midst of all of my stuff, he wants to be with me, beginning, middle, and end. That is the narrative at all points in between. God with his people, that's the story of the Bible. Loved ones, to me, that's staggering. And now we have this Holy Spirit that lives in us and we get to talk to God. We get to hear God all the time at work during the day. He prompts us with his thoughts, his voice. Reminds me of this powerful picture. You see this, it's in the Sistine Chapel. Michelangelo draws this creation. Notice this picture. You see God up above. It's almost as if he's enveloped by the angelic beings. It portrays him. It shows God's intense interest and desire to be with again. What's he doing? He's reaching out to his creation. His muscles are tight. His arm is stretched. His gaze is fixed. And what's Adam? He's just passively sitting there. But God is creating. He's going to be with them. Hear me, loved ones. Be ruthless in responding and developing a listening ear an open heart to saying yes to God's spirit everywhere, all the time, every day, because you're in the vine. You're connected to Jesus. And so you can bear fruit. Don't miss the connection between the fruit and the root. The root is Jesus Christ. All of these attributes that we're going to talk about are part of God's character that become the fruit of who we become when we are rooted in him, the root, the vine. And hear me, this isn't about pick and choose time. It is the fruit of the Spirit, as I noted, not fruits. It's just simply eight different expressions of the manifestations of love in our life. Go to the produce section, watch people. What do you do? Some of us do this. We squeeze an avocado. We smell a lemon. We polish the apples. We inspect the oranges. Paul wants us to see that in the tasty produce section of God's economy, we don't come and pick and choose. It's just one big fruit. Because if we were able to choose, most of us would lean into the ones that we're strongest in. I love this joy. I'm a joyful person. I'm perky. And so we would just continue to focus on that. But God says, no, I want you to have this delightful blend. I want you to have this delicious fruit in your life so that wherever you go, where somebody may need an infusion of joy, you can bring it. Where somebody may need an infusion of kindness, you can bring it. Where somebody needs help with self-control, you can encourage them. 
That's what these are about. Well, you're saying, okay, well, that sounds really good. How do I get that on a shelf that I can really understand and deal with it? What does it mean to abide or to remain in Christ? Let me talk to you very practically just in closing about being an abider. Like all spiritual life, loved ones, this is a journey, not a destination. Abiding, what does it mean practically? It doesn't mean for you and I now, starting today, we're going to get up, start doing a bunch of different things. We're going to work harder. We're going to try harder. Here's what you've got to remember. He's with you. Tell the person, Jesus is with you. Now tell the person next to you, I want to be with Jesus. If he's with you, you have a relationship with him. You are connected. So here's what I understand abiding to mean. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning. There's two kinds of people who wake up. Those who love to get up really early and those who hate people who love to get up really early. (laughs) And some of you know what that is like in your home. But tomorrow morning, we're all going to get up. We're going to wake up. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to wake up with Jesus. See, usually when the alarm goes off for me at 545, I tap it for nine minutes. Is it because I'm lazy? I don't think so. I use that nine minutes very strategically. It's where I just take a moment before I get my, before my feet hit the ground. I say, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you I woke up. Thank you that I get to serve you another day. My wife has already been up. She's made me coffee. I say, thank you for my little bride. Bless her day. And then I'll just say, Lord, I just need you to go with me today. In just a few minutes, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go get my grits. I'm going to go get my coffee, and I'm going to go up to my office in my home, and I'm going to meet with you in a different way. So I just ask you to speak to me. Sometimes I'll fall back asleep for three minutes. (laughs) But it'll go off, but that's what I do. And then I get up, and I go get my grits or my eggs and my coffee, and I go up to my home office. I open my Bible and my journal. This is where I have what I call spiritual moments. They're huge in tethering heaven to my life and me to the vine. And I'll just start my day there and I'll read through the Bible reading plan or as I told you, I'm reading a chapter a day and I'll just start reading. This time is so important, loved ones, because it helps me when I feel overwhelmed by what I'm doing which is about 75% of the time now. It helps me when I feel so inadequate to deal with the tasks that I have to deal with and I just simply welcome Jesus into my day and situations and I read about him. I read the scriptures and I journal. It's not long always, sometimes it is, but I don't spend, you know, hours, I don't spend pages journaling anymore. But I just say, Lord, this is, I got this meeting, I want you to help me. And I say, Lord, I've got this bad attitude I need to face it, and I need to confront it, and I need to deal with it. See, this is just simply living out what we call spiritual disciplines and practices that keep me connected to the vine. Maybe tomorrow you would start this. Maybe it's just 15 minutes. I usually do it for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. But you maybe you just do it 10. But you just plop your Bible open. You say, Lord, I just want to meet with you. I want to be connected today. Just give me one little thought. And then maybe if you like to write, you write it down. Or maybe you just remember it and you think about it throughout the day. Maybe you take this scripture, Galatians 5, and 23, and you write it down somewhere and say, I'm going to memorize this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So tomorrow you just say, Lord, I want to know that. I want to live this out. I want to grow in this. I want my character to expand. How can I be loving today? Oh, man, I got a tough boss. I think I'm going to pick up a Starbucks coffee. I'm going to give it to my boss. You go do that. You say, here, I thought of you this morning. So then you read the newspaper. I love reading the morning newspaper. Some of you might read, watch the news. 
Do it with Jesus. Huh? Yeah, do it with Jesus. When I read the paper, I do it with Jesus. What do you mean? Well, when I'm reading, this is what I do. Sometimes there's a leadership lesson I'll cut out, put in my journal. It's last Friday or Saturday. I can't remember which it was, but there was three stories of children being abused. And I was reading it with Jesus, and I thought, oh, my gosh, Lord. Lord, help. Help our culture. You know what I did? I just prayed for the families and the kids. Lord, heal them. Touch them. One of them happened in a church in Brentwood. I cut it out. I want to remind our staff, our church, our leaders, we got to be aware. But I want to pray, God, protect us. See, that's, that's reading your newspaper with Jesus. Some, you know, some days I might go, Lord, just pray for President Obama. He's got this tough decision. Well, what if I don't agree with him? Well, what do you mean? I don't care. God doesn't care. We still pray for people. Then you get in your car and you go to school or work. What would it be like if Jesus drove with you? Ooh. Not good. Maybe some of us would need to drive slower, more sanely, less rushed, be better graciously, get rid of some hand motions, (laughs) change the words that we say. But what if you got in your car and said, Jesus, I'm going to get in my car now, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to abide and remain in you while I'm driving. You think that would change a few things? Remember I told you, and I don't say this like I'm bragging or any good person, but a few years ago I said, I will not honk at anybody unless they're coming into my lane that I just for protection. But I just won't honk at people. Because I want to, be, I want to grow in being patient loving and kind to the people on the road. And sometimes you know that's really hard. But what if you was in your car and when's the next time someone cuts you off instead of, you know, giving them whatever, you just go, you know what? Lord, I just pray for that person. They're really in a hurry today. I just don't let them get in a wreck or whatever's stressing them out, be with them. Now, this is real stuff. And, you know, we think, well, that's, uh, who's going to do that? I'm going to work on it because I want to be with Jesus. And I want to do everything I can to look more and more and act like him. So you go to work. What would it look like if you were to abide with Jesus there? Problem arises, and instead of pushing the panic button, get overworked and overwhelmed, you take a deep breath and say, Lord, I don't know about this. But I'm going to look to you, and I'm just going to sit here for a moment and abide with you. I'm going to take a deep breath, and I'm going to somehow try and call on your strength and your wisdom to help me. I want your peace. I want your patience. I want your kindness. You're talking to somebody on the phone, and they're not giving you what you need. But, but you move beyond. You go, this isn't just a salesperson. This isn't just a clerk. This isn't just a customer, but this is someone made in the image of God that he loves, and I'm going to treat him that way. You, you, you think that might slap the slack out of some of our sales? That's not that hard, is it? You're not working at it. You're just going, ah, I'm going to be Jesus right here. He's going to be, I'm going I'm to sit with Jesus right here. Come home at the end of a tough day, and you've got to re-enter your familial environment. It might be with roommates. It might be with family. And instead of bringing in your bad, difficult, tough, out-of-control day, before you get into that house, maybe you're still in the car, you push the pause button, and you just say, Jesus, I want you to go in here with me because my tendency is my spouse or my kids or somebody's going to want to reach out to me, and they're going to want to just embrace me and love me and be nice to me, and my reaction is going to be to stiff arm them. I've done it way too many times. Would you just help me today to make sure that I embrace them the way that you would so I don't hurt them, I don't offend them because of the day that I had that has absolutely nothing to do with them. Help me to leave it right here in this car or on this front porch. Could you imagine if you took Jesus that way? Because you were just abiding in him? You were just in him? One more. How about two more? How about you come to church each week? You get up in the morning. It's busy. Kids are going crazy. 
But while you're putting the final touches on them, you just say, Lord, today, you think this. Lord, today, you know what I'm going to do? I can't wait to get to Creekside. And I want to receive. I want you to speak to me. I want to be able to enjoy the great worship. But here's the deal, Lord. I, I don't want to just go and receive. I want to go and give. So when I, when, I, when I drive out of that parking lot, would you just raise my spiritual antenna and my sensitivity to the people around me so that when I'm walking through the courtyard or anywhere else, I am aware of not just receiving from, but giving to in your name. That if there's somebody that needs patience, if there's somebody that needs love, if there's somebody that needs kindness, if somebody just looks like they're down, I can go up to them and say, are you all right? Are you good? Can I help you? Oh, it's been a tough week. Can I pray for you? And you just speak a simple prayer with them. Could you imagine what would happen to your life? Could you imagine what would happen to the environment of Creekside if every Sunday we did that because we're all abiding before we get here? Wow. I think the culture, I think... And we have a wonderful culture here, but I think it would just exponentially raise. And we weren't intimidated just to go up to somebody we didn't even know. Look them in the eye. How you doing? Last one. You go home at night. You put your head on the bed. Here's how you close out your day abiding. Lord, thanks for today. Whew. I don't know how I made it. But I did. And as I look back, you know what I see? I see your imprint. And, and I just, in these last few minutes, before I snooze, I thank you that I see your imprint on everything that I faced. Thank you. I love you, Lord. Thanks for letting, thanks that you want to be with me. I love being with you. Amen. See, it's not rocket scientists. It's not even heavily religious. It's just this sense of dialogue and this decision that you walk and talk and are aware of the living God that is a part of your life. See, the life of Jesus abides in us and we can tap into it by abiding in him. I have a friend who said it this way, we don't get what we deserve, we get what we settle for. And too many of us settle for the lowest common denominator in our spiritual life because we're not engaged with the lover of our soul. And that's what this series is about.